0: Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at FCCFM.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, church. It is so great to see you here this morning. I am happy to be with you as we kick off a new sermon series today on forgiveness Called Work in Progress, that takes us through several stories of Jesus and his connection with various sinful people. And while I decided on this series more than six months ago, I had no idea that we would kick it off the very same week that nearly all the news headlines revolve around the idea of debt forgiveness. And particularly student debt forgiveness. And so I just wonder as we kick off this series that's taking us up to Easter, have you ever had anyone forgive you of any of your debts? During the first wave of the COVID crisis, like most other businesses and churches, we had to temporarily close the doors of the church I led in Illinois. And it was a scary time, just think back. Remember, we didn't know anything about the disease, but but we knew it was dangerous. But we weren't just concerned with the health effects of the disease, but also the financial fallout. Would businesses fail? Would workers get paid? Would the economy crash? Would churches across the country go bankrupt? And I remember when the Paycheck Protection Plan was enacted, and and we were offered government loans to ensure our employees would get paid with the promise that the loans could be forgiven rather than paid back. And I got to tell you, I was skeptical. So skeptical, in fact, that I sat down with our executive pastor and I said, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's apply, but let's apply for as little as possible and only what we believe is absolutely necessary to get us through the next couple of months. And so we only applied for about half of what we were entitled to under the parameters of the plan. And I still remember being so nervous about that loan. I mean, we already had all the debt we could handle having just moved into a huge new church building and the last thing I wanted was our church to be saddled with even more debt but we also had 15 employees and their families depending on us to make ends meet and so we reluctantly filled out the application we sent in the application the loan was approved and we meticulously used those funds to pay our staff And if I remember correctly, it was after about six months, we were required again to make another application, this time for the forgiveness of the debt. And we sent it in and and we held our breath, just hoping upon hope and praying that it would be forgiven. And the day our executive pastor walked into my office and he announced the loan had been forgiven, it's like a heavy load was lifted off of my shoulders, and I remember thinking, why didn't we apply for the whole amount? (laughs) To have your debt forgiven is an amazing thing. You've probably never heard of Jerry Ashton or Craig Antico. But the two men spent decades as debt collectors, hounding people to pay their medical bills. It, it, was, it was their job. It was, it was their career. Even though it wasn't fun, it wasn't fulfilling, it's how they earned a living, and they did it really well. Until they decided it would be a lot more fun to pay off people's debts instead of collecting their debts. And so they started a charity called RIP Medical Debt where they would buy up medical debt for pennies on the dollar and then forgive it. When Paola Gonzalez received a phone call from their charity, she thought it was a prank. The caller said $950, a hospital bill of hers, had been paid in full and it would not affect her credit and she would never have to worry about it again. I was just speechless, she said. As she continues to battle lupus, a disorder that had her in and out of the hospital for nearly a year and even with medical insurance, she faced all kinds of medical bills and she said, it's really amazing that people would help me out like this. To have your debt forgiven is an amazing thing and in the Bible, it's a metaphor for God's kindness and mercy and grace and love towards us. I mean, and it's, not, it's not just a metaphor. There was literally a provision in the law of Moses called Jubilee that every 50th year on the Day of Atonement, which is an annual holiday in Israel, all debts were canceled. And I mean all of them. And even then, being set on the day of atonement, there was a correlation created between the forgiveness of sins and the forgiveness of debts. Jesus himself made the same correlation in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 12. The Greek language uses the word for debts instead of sins when Jesus instructed us to pray, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. You see, Jesus wants us to understand forgiveness is amazing, yet costly. It's it's one thing to to say to someone, well, I forgive you of something you did to me. It can be another thing, quite another thing altogether to say, that $5,000 that I loaned you, Forget it. It's forgiven. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does for the sinful woman in Luke chapter seven. If you have your Bible apps, go ahead and get those opened up. If you have your Bibles, get those out. If you're taking notes, we're beginning in verse 36 of Luke chapter seven. Here's what it says. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, this is early on in the ministry of Jesus. This is in the first phase, the first phase of Jesus' public ministry when his popularity is growing and he's attracting a large following and the establishment, both religious and political, are starting to notice him. And they're not quite sure what to think about him. And so in John chapter three, another story, one of the establishment leaders named Nicodemus, not wanting people to get the wrong idea and think he too is a disciple, he checked Jesus out under the cover of night. But here in Luke chapter 7, another one of the establishment leaders, a man named Simon, invited Jesus into his home for a meal. Now, both men, Nicodemus and Simon, were of the politico religious party called the Pharisees. And Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 seemed to be a positive one, but Jesus' interaction with Simon here in Luke chapter 7, hmm, not so much. Verses 37 and 38. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house and so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them. And poured perfume on them. And this was a a very public meal. In fact, it was not at all uncommon for an entire village to know when a special guest was in town or when an established leader was putting on a dinner party for a special guest. There actually seems to be numerous times throughout the gospel when Jesus or Jesus and his disciples were invited to someone's home for a meal. And whenever it was done by an establishment leader, it was always, almost always part of a larger vetting process. The establishment leader was wondering, who is this guy with all these followers? What's he teaching and and, and what's he doing and what's he all about? Is he a good teacher or is he a heretic? Does he agree more with us or that other political party? And so the villagers, they would be very interested in this meal. Do our leaders like Jesus? Do they agree with Jesus? Are we allowed to follow Jesus? What are they going to ask Jesus? How will Jesus answer their questions? And what would happen is the host and the guest, as well as the rest of the dinner party, they would gather in the house, but then all the villagers would come. And they would gather around the house and they would watch and listen through the closed doors or the open doors and the open windows. And in this particular instance, one of the villagers, we only know her as a woman who had lived a sinful life. She heard that Jesus was there and she went to see him with an alabaster jar of perfume to wash and anoint his feet. Now, we don't know her name. It was neither Mary Magdalene nor Mary of Bethany, although sometimes their identities are confused with hers. We don't even know how she was able to get into the house. Perhaps the, the crowd parted as if she were diseased. We also know at that time the word sinner was not a term applied to everyone. I mean, in Romans chapter three, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that, that we're all sinners, but that certainly was not the theological consensus at that time in that location. And the, the word sinner at its core means lawbreaker, but mostly at this time it was used as a synonym for prostitute. Now, we don't know much about this woman, her past, or why she was in what's often been called the world's oldest profession. Did she simply choose it or was she born into it? Some prostitutes were trafficked from birth throughout their life. Others were molested in childhood and they were wrongly considered damaged goods and because of that were unable to ever marry. And without a husband, they were unable to find any source of income and resorted to prostitution just to survive. Then there were still others who were widows who had not been redeemed by a family member. That was a legal issue. And so they were in the same shoes as those who had been molested, merely trying to survive without another source of income. Women living in the first century, especially in Israel, had very few rights to begin with. This woman had even fewer. Along with slaves, prostitutes were the lowest level of that society, and while her profession was not illegal in Israel, prostitutes had no social or legal standing, and neither they nor their children were permitted to worship with the assembly. Nevertheless, this woman somehow finds her way into the Pharisees' home to Jesus, who is reclining at the dinner table, and there she begins to weep, and with her tears mixed with perfume, one of the tools of her trade, she washes Jesus' feet. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and the kind of woman that she is, that she is a sinner. Remember that the Pharisee is vetting Jesus, and oh, by the way, Jesus is not making a good impression. And Jesus knows he's being vetted, and Jesus knows he's being judged, and so Jesus tells a story. He tells a parable to elicit another, perhaps better judgment. Verses 40 through 43. Jesus answered him Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One, one owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven you have judged correctly, Jesus said. As he often does in his ministry, Jesus uses a debt cancellation metaphor to teach us something about forgiveness. And what is it that he teaches us? Well, he teaches us that, that forgiveness is amazing and forgiveness is profound in that it created love. And yet he's also reminding us that forgiveness is incredibly costly oh by the way the hero of the parable is the money lender who forgave the debts i mean the debt forgiveness cost the money lender 550 denarii 550 days wages 50 from one borrower 500 for the other and so think about it like this forgiving those debts cost that money lender nearly 2 years of salary, nearly two years. Just just think about what what that would mean for you. Would you be willing to give up nearly two years of salary to forgive someone? Verses 44 through 47. Then Jesus turned toward the woman, but he said to Simon, he said, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my hair with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered does not stop kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Mike, drop. Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus into his home not to honor him, but to investigate him. This is not a warm welcome for Jesus, this is a slap in the face to Jesus. Simon doesn't want anyone to think he's impressed with Jesus. Rather, Simon wants everyone in his village to think he's extremely skeptical of Jesus at very best and intentionally insulting Jesus at worst. Also, this is first century Israel. There's no indoor plumbing. There are very few paved roads. The average person's feet would be caked in dirt and manure and all kinds of other nastiness, and their body and their clothing would smell filthy. And so common decency, just normal manners indicated or dictated there should be a greeting and a foot washing and some scented oils for the guest. And without the the latter two things, Jesus' odor would stand out to the point of embarrassment in a culture that prized cleanliness above almost anything else. And let's just just be also clear about this. We don't wanna miss this. This is a scandalous woman. This is a scandalous woman. Perhaps the, the crowd even parted to let her into the Pharisees' home just because they didn't want her to touch them as she passed she is a scandalous woman in a scandalous profession. And, and and her touching Jesus was scandalous. And her washing Jesus with the perfume she normally used to attract clients. Scandalous. Her kissing Jesus repeatedly, he said she hadn't stopped kissing him since since she came in. That's scandalous, but, but please don't miss this. Yes, this scandalous woman did scandalous things, but Jesus was far more scandalized by Simon the Pharisee's lack of kindness than by the woman's abundance of sinfulness. And so he forgave her as she approached him with the grief she felt over her many sins and with the faith that he would love her and accept her despite them all. Verses 48 through 50. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What an amazing story with so many deep, deep, profound spiritual truths like this one. I don't know if you noticed, but Jesus has more grace for the sinful woman than the religious man. I wonder how well we reflect that reality about Jesus in our own lives. He's got more grace for the sinful woman than the religious man. Are we ready for that one? Also, Jesus wants us to know that forgiveness is costly, requiring sacrifice. If it was easy to forgive, everybody would do it. But it's not easy. It's costly. It's sacrificial. I've heard people say, forgiveness is free. No, forgiveness is not free. Somebody is always paying the price for forgiveness. Another thing that Jesus wants us to know is that Forgiveness changes things. It does. Forgiveness changes past failure into future potential. Forgiveness changes people. Forgiveness changes relationships. It, it changes all the dynamics. Forgiveness changes things. I wanna be very clear here and say that there's always a calling when forgiveness is involved. There's always a calling to something better. There's another story in the Bible, the woman caught in adultery in John chapter eight, Jesus saved her from execution. He told the religious leaders, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. And after that, those, those religious leaders, at least for the moment, they left her alone, but Jesus didn't leave her alone. He had more to say. He said, neither do I condemn you. But then he also said to her, go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus forgave her and that changed her even if she was a work in progress. And even in those moments when forgiveness doesn't in fact change the person being forgiven, even when they spit in the face of forgiveness, it still changes the one doing the forgiving because it makes them more like Jesus. And forgiveness does that too. Forgiveness makes us more like Jesus. The lender who forgives the debt is the one who pays the price. The price doesn't go unpaid. To sin is to break God's law and there's penalty for breaking God's law. The wages of sin, the penalty for sin is death. Jesus paid that penalty for us on the cross. When we forgive others, we walk in the footsteps of Jesus. In church, there are none better, none more worthy to walk in. Forgiveness changes us and makes us more like Jesus, even when those we forgive refuse to change. But what about those who are willing to change? What happens to them? Here's the answer, they love much. That's what forgiven people do. Forgiven people love much. That's what Jesus was really getting at with Simon the Pharisee. I mean, Simon was rude to Jesus. Simon insulted Jesus. Simon was not loving toward Jesus. And it's because Simon never really understood that he was a sinner too, just like the woman. Now, Simon was religious, and Simon was zealous, and Simon was devout, and he he read the scriptures every day, and he prayed every day, and he saw himself as a gatekeeper to all the good stuff, but... He loved little. And essentially, Jesus warned him, you're not forgiven because you love little. And if you were forgiven, then you would love much because forgiven people love much. Church, can I challenge you today to love much in all that you do? As a forgiven people, if I could, if I could leave you with any takeaway for today, it would simply be to love. Much because forgiven people love much. Can I challenge you? Can I encourage you? Can I inspire you somehow to love much, to love the Lord your God with everything you've got, and to love your neighbor as yourself? Can I challenge you today to love much? Can I ask you to love your enemy and your adversary, to love the sinner as much as the saint? To love the criminal and the convict and the immigrant and the addict. To love the one from another mother and the one of another color. Can I encourage you today to love the Democrat and the disenfranchised. To love the ruffian and the Republican. To love your gay neighbor and your straight neighbor. And the always making you late at the gas station beggar. Can I just remind you, as a sinner saved by grace, as just another flawed Christ follower in the same race, as one forgiven of much, yet washed clean without a trace, that those who are forgiven of much will love In the same way, love much. That is our challenge every single day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to love much as a forgiven people. You, God, have offered us your kindness and your mercy and your grace and your love and we have received it in faith. We are a forgiven people, help us to love much. May we be more like Jesus, and yes, even more, like the sinful woman and less like Simon the Pharisee, not sitting in skepticism and judgment, but loving much. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.